Our Old Testament lesson this morning uh, comes from Daniel chapter 7, which uh, several weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago at this point, uh, we actually took a break in John. It's kind of the only break we've taken in uh, the book of John and actually looked at Daniel chapter 7. So this should sound familiar if you were with us for that. This is uh, during the exile into Babylon. So the people of Israel have been taken out of Israel, they, uh, in Judah, and have gone into Babylon. And while they are there, there is uh, a Jewish man named Daniel, and he has this crazy vision. And we're going to hear um, kind of this whole vision in, in well, in its entirety. And uh, there's some more explanation after that. So if you want to get the explanation, you have to read the rest of the chapter on your own. But uh, first we're going to read Daniel 7, verses 1 through 14. Get ready for some crazy stuff. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day you've made, and we thank you for your word that you've given to us. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to understand it. Help us to know uh, what it is that you are saying, that we would know better uh, who you are, what you're doing in this world, that we would know better your heart. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel chapter 7, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were four winds, the four winds of heaven, churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being, and the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there, came, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, 
and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I told you it's weird stuff. You can read the rest of that chapter uh, for explanation and go back uh, to a previous sermon recording if you want uh, more about that. But for now, our New Testament lesson is from 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. John writes and says, We know that we have come to know him, that is Jesus, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we have been looking at uh, John, the Gospel of John, for quite a while. And what we've actually been looking at more specifically recently is Jesus and his conversation with his disciples. Actually, that last night he spends with his disciples before he goes to the cross. And uh, we are looking at that again today. However, uh, we've seen there have been several turns in the evening as he spent this time with them. And so he begins by washing their feet, and then he has been teaching them uh, a lot. And now it shifts again into an, a prayer that he prays. And he prays this prayer, and then they go uh, out to where he's going to be arrested. But So this is really how he ends his time with the disciples. We're not going to talk about the whole prayer all at once. We're going to break this up over several weeks. But before we do that, we're going to actually read the whole prayer. And so this is John chapter 17. I did not put all the verses up here. Um, but you can just listen <laughs> to the prayer that Jesus prays. And then we're just going to talk about the first five verses of this prayer. But this is what Jesus prays as a way of uh, kind of concluding this evening with his disciples and really concluding his uh, earthly ministry before he goes to the cross. This is how he prays. It's John 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, 
and they believe that you have sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have given is yours, and all you have, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that, while, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. That, uh, and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is how Jesus concludes the evening. With this extended prayer, prayer for himself, prayer for the disciples, a prayer for the world. This is a prayer that includes praying, Jesus praying for us. I don't know if you caught that part. But he's saying all those who will believe through their message, those disciples. We are those people that Jesus was praying for right there. But there is a question that this raises. Uh, because this is kind of it's an extended prayer that he has here. And you might remember that Jesus said... Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, he was talking about people who, you know, stand up and they pray lengthy prayers and they're doing so to impress people. And he's like, no, 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 you don't, don't do that. He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who's unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you, right? We're like, okay, well, if that's Jesus' view on prayer, then what is this? <laughs> Why is he praying this long prayer out loud in front of his disciples instead of going and uh, away and praying in secret. You ever think about that? Jesus actually does go away and pray in secret quite a bit. Like that's one of the things you see about him. However, there are also times where he prays in public or he prays uh, in front of his disciples out loud. And uh, a couple times he actually even explains why. And this is one of those. It's tucked away in there a little bit. Another time is in 
John 12, I believe. Um, John 11, somewhere in there. Maybe both. And, uh, and Jesus says, you know, I'm, I'm saying these things, praying them out loud for the benefit of people listening. In other words, the reason that he is praying this prayer out loud is for the benefit of his disciples. Now, does that mean he doesn't mean what he's actually saying, that it's not a real prayer? No. He's actually praying for real, but he's also praying for the benefit of his disciples. And uh, part of that is that they would hear what he's praying for so that they know, okay, well, you know, hopefully that's how things go. But there's another aspect to it, and that is just as he prays out loud in front of them, the things that he's praying for is another way, like that's another way of revealing his heart to his disciples. Have you ever had this experience where you are in a group of people and somebody asks you to pray and you're like, no, (laughs) I don't want to do that, not out loud. And why not? Praying is very vulnerable, isn't it? If you're praying for real, if it's not like for show, (laughs) if you're really praying, it's very vulnerable. Because you are opening up your heart in front of God and in front of everyone who can hear you. And I think that is exactly why Jesus actually did pray out loud in front of his disciples. It's another way of revealing to his disciples, this is who I am. This is what makes me tick. My relationship with my father, which I've talked about a lot, you know that. But also, these are the things that I care about. These are the things that I want to have happen in this world and in you as my disciples. And so Jesus prays out loud in front of his disciples in this uh, very open and vulnerable way as a way of revealing himself to them, as a way of letting them know who he is. Um, I would encourage you, by the way, if you have opportunity to pray with other people, to to do that. Don't be afraid of that uh, vulnerability. I know that it's there. (laughs) But there is a... um, there's a good on the other side of that. If you can make it, uh, make it past that threshold. So, okay, that's why Jesus is praying out loud. But let's just look at the first five verses. What is it that he's talking about in this prayer? How is this good for disciples? What are they learning in just this opening section as he prays? And he prays several things. Uh, it says the hour has come, which that's, interesting just because he's been saying all through the book of John, you know, John keeps telling us, oh, they tried to grab him, but they couldn't because his hour wasn't, <laughs> wasn't here yet. It hadn't yet come. And he's like, yeah, it's time now. And so he knows that it's time for him to go to the cross. But as he opens with that, then he goes into this glorify your son that your son may glorify you. And later on, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. That's a lot of glory talk, isn't it? Any clue what that means? We use this word uh, glory a lot in the church. We use this glorify. It shows up all over the Bible. And um, well, I think we kind of guess it, maybe what we feel like it means in certain places. But it, it kind of carries this whole category of meaning with it. But primarily it's just or the most basic sense anyway, it's just the idea of weight. Something that's heavy. And so Jesus is like, glorify me in your presence with the heaviness I had with you before the world began. What, now what does that mean? 
This is uh, the weight, though, which can be a physical thing, but it's in that metaphorical sense. And we use that in our language today, too. When we talk about uh, things outweighing something else, you know, I was weighing these two decisions, and we, you go with the one where the most important one outweighs the less important one. And so we have this idea of this uh, importance being something that weighs more, <laughs> outweighs the less important. That's getting at the idea of what this glory means. Weight, importance, significance, reputation, greatness, awesomeness. Not like, dude, that's awesome, but like actual awesomeness. <laughs> that which inspires awe. And then how all of that is made known or revealed. All of that is what this word glory is about. This is what Jesus is about, is making known how great God is and who he really is and how great that is and how important that is. But then also he says, you know, do that for me too. Father, I want you to glorify me, that the world will know how great I am. Well, that seems weird. But that's what he's praying. But why is he praying that everyone would know who he really is and how great he really is and his importance and significance? It's for the good of the world, isn't it? Because that's who Jesus is. This is why he came, is to reveal God and also to save the world. And if nobody knows how great Jesus is, what happens there? And so he says, no, glorify me so that I can glorify you. Let people know who I really am so that they will know who you really are. That's the idea. That's what Jesus is praying for. And then he talks about, uh, at the end there, where it says, uh, glorify me in your presence, the glory I had with you before the world began. This is not a new thing. This is something that uh, before the world began, Father and Son and Holy Spirit were together and sharing this glory and this greatness and importance and distinction. And then what Jesus has now, though, is different, isn't it? And we look at Philippians 2 and we see that, you know, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but instead he takes on the nature of a servant. He humbles himself. Now what's interesting is though he has laid aside that glory, he has still glory. And that is the glory of what it means to be truly human, to be the truly human one. It's what we saw in Daniel chapter 7 of all these beasts that come up to rule. And it's like, ah, that's just terrifying. That's not how the world's supposed to be at all. That's actually an upside down of how the world's supposed to be. It's actually human beings that were created to rule. But all the, these rulers that we have just look like beasts. And then there's one that shows up that's actually like a son of man, this human one. And as we talked about before, this, that's who Jesus is. He is the true human one. Um, the only whole human who has come to make humans whole. This is what Jesus has come to do, and that in itself is glorious. And there is a glory there, and, uh, and yet, as he goes to the cross, he knows that after his resurrection, he's going to the Father. And he wants to share that glory again uh, with the Father. But I want to talk about this uh, middle section here. Where it talks about you granted him authority over all people. 
That's what we're looking at in Daniel 7. This one who's the truly human one is going to be over all people and, um, and for a purpose. That he might give eternal life. That he might give eternal life. Not ruling over people so that he can get something from them. Not ruling over people to, uh, to exploit them. Not ruling over people uh, to trample over them. But ruling over people to give them. And to give them what is good. He says in uh, John 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they have, may have life and have it to the full. This is what he wants for his people. This is why he came. And tell you a story about when I was roughly 10 years old. That was the first time that I ever saw the game Super Mario Brothers. If you are around my age, this will probably have meaning for you. And for everybody else, just nod and smile. First off, Super Mario Brothers. The Nintendo game. This is like the original one. The big deal. The big hit. And um, I didn't see it actually on a Nintendo console. I saw it in a Pizza Hut at an arcade, the standalone arcade version of the game. And so I had to beg my mom for a quarter so I could go play this game because, oh my goodness, everybody wanted to play this game. And so I get the quarter. That's a miracle in itself. <laughs> and I go and I put the quarter into the Super Mario Brothers game. And um, if you know the game, the little plumber guy runs along and he's got to jump over the obstacles and etc. Get to the end, save the princess. I didn't know that at the time, but I start running along and uh, you get three lives. First guy, I run across the screen, straight into the first little mushroom dude. I, I die. That's it. Okay, guy number two. I'm learning. Here we go. I run right across, hit the same guy. Life two, done. Third time, final life. I have learned there's a jump button. <laughs> and so I'm going to jump over this guy, not a problem. And I run across the screen, and I get to that little mushroom guy, and I jump just too early and land in front of him and hit him and die. That's it. Quarter gone. Game over. The end. What a, what a waste. <laughs> what a waste of a quarter. I barely made it through anything. And, but the reason that I barely made it through anything is because I had no idea what I was doing. This is my first time seeing this at all. I didn't have anybody who was explaining to me what I needed to dodge or avoid or when to jump or how to jump. I didn't know any of that stuff. I'm just going through it for the first time. Here's why I bring this up. This is how an awful lot of people live life. <laughs> you just go right on through. I've never done this before. Who knows? We're just going to kind of figure it out as we go. And we jump right into the stuff that will kill us. <laughs> and, we, and I'm talking spiritually. The things that we should, we should be able to avoid if we knew we were supposed to avoid them. But a lot of times we don't pay attention to what we're supposed to avoid. We don't know what the goal of the game is. And so we're just kind of going along through it and wasting the quarter that we've been given. Wasting the life that we've been given. I know, this is too much video game talk, but <laughs> I'll tell you this. Later on, my aunt actually gave us a Nintendo for Christmas. My mom was not happy, but as kids, we were super happy. <laughs> and uh, my brother and I got really good at Super Mario Brothers. To the point that we could actually uh, go through the entire game and res rescue the princess without losing a single life in under 15 minutes. I know. You're very impressed. 
Anyway. Point is, that took a lot of time that we devoted in, uh, into playing that game and to learning what the game was all about. How much shorter would that have been if we'd had the inventor of the game sitting there with us, befriending us, showing us how it's done, that kind of thing. This is what Jesus says he has come to do, not about Super Mario Brothers, but about actual life. And that he has come, and he's the one who has uh, not only made it past that first obstacle, but made it the whole way through. The whole way through, the way that it's supposed to be done. And if we understand that that's what he's done, then we can look to him and we can say, okay, it's possible. Someone's done it before. It is possible. Now, I've already messed up an awful lot of stuff, but show me the next step. Teach me the next thing that I'm supposed to do. Help me identify the things that I'm supposed to steer clear of. Show me the things that I'm supposed to actually do as a part of living this life that you have given me. Jesus says, You have granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who you have given him. And he defines eternal life. And it's not just a life that goes on for a long time. Instead, he says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In other words, it's eternal life. It's not just ordinary life that goes on for a long time. This is a qualitatively different kind of life. This is the life that people were intended to have from the beginning. And so when you look back to Genesis 1 and 2, I guess, and you see God creating people in his image, and then he is with them. And they are in relationship. He knows them. They know him. This is how life is supposed to be. But then there's a breakdown in that. And that's what the whole rest of the Bible is about. That's what the whole rest of human history is about. And then you get to the very end in Revelation. That's what we see again is God with his people and his people with God. Knowing each other. And what happens in the middle is Jesus. What happens in the middle is Jesus comes to say that what we had in the beginning, that's what we can have again because of Jesus. This relationship with God, that is real life. That's what we can have again because of Jesus. And we can have it forever. And so again, he says uh, that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. Now this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The challenge for the kids today was to look for people who know each other well. But the reason that we're looking for people who know each other well is as a reminder to us of what it's like for us to know someone well. To be known by someone well. And as we think about that, think about it in terms of our relationship with God, who knows us really well and who desires to be known. This is why he reveals himself to us in all of nature. It's why he reveals himself to us in all of scripture. And it's why he actually came to reveal himself most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. That when we know him, that's what life is really all about. That's what it's about. And we chase after all these things and we jump into mushroom after mushroom to continue the analogy. 
but it's about knowing him. Knowing him, making him known, uh, that is what all of life comes down to. And as I mentioned in the uh, children's sermon there, uh, you know, Paul says in Philippians 3 that there is nothing that compares to knowing Jesus. That that is, that's it. (laughs) That is the highest thing in all of life is knowing Jesus. Um, And that he'd be willing to trade everything else for that. I don't know if that's where you are right now. I hope so. If not, I would pray that you would consider uh, what that means. What the, uh, the trade-offs really are. That you would count the cost of following Jesus, of knowing him, of knowing, uh, of knowing what life is really about. And would you be willing willing to trade everything for that? Jesus says count the cost. But he also assures us that it's worth every cost. Because this is eternal life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do... Uh, thank you for the life that you have given to us. Lord, we ask that you would help us. Help us to look uh, to you as the source of life, as the creator of life, or as the one who actually knows what this is all about. There's so much that competes for our attention and there's so much um, that provides claims to other um, meanings in life. God, we pray that you'd help us to know the difference between the counterfeit and the true. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know you more and more, to know you better and better, God, that we would know your heart, that we would begin to reflect who you are into this world as the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.